0: Good morning on this beautiful, beautiful Sunday. As some of you know, my mother-in-law passed away a couple weeks ago. And uh, Kelly and I just want to thank you for your support, for your prayers. We just felt so loved uh, by so many of you. We wanted to thank you for that. Well, this morning we're starting a new series in the Gospel of John and uh, we're excited, then so we'd like you to turn to John chapter 1. And I forgot to get the page number, but if you open your Bible in the middle and you take a right turn, go to the New Testament, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the fourth gospel. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18 this morning, and we'll look at the text in just a moment. But let's pray and ask God's blessing upon this time. Father, we do thank you for this beautiful day. It's a day that you've made. We want to rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you for your word, for the truth of your word, filled with promises that we can stand on. We thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we ask that you'd bless your word this morning. We ask that you'd open the scriptures to us. I ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would move in this place. And I pray that each person here this morning would hear something from you. We ask you now to bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love the Gospels. They were the first books I ever read in the Bible. As a teenager, my mother had given me a paperback New Testament. And as I read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I was amazed by Jesus Christ. I mean, all the miracles he did, changing water to wine, walking on water, calming a raging storm with just his words, healing the sick and the crippled, opening the eyes of the blind, casting demons out of people, raising the dead. And then when I saw him on the cross, bleeding, suffering, dying for me, it gripped my heart and Jesus captured my heart. And then his resurrection, he rose from the dead, as Chris spoke about last week. And it didn't tell me, it didn't take me long to realize that there was no one like Jesus. And I still love to read the Gospels, and John is probably my favorite. If you're here this morning and you haven't read the Bible a lot, and you're looking for a place to start, I'd encourage you, John's a great place to start. And and if you've known the Lord for many, many years... John is a great book. And so we're excited about this series and we're excited that you're here. Now, John was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Among the disciples, he was in a core group along with Peter and James. And Jesus called John and his brother James, sons of thunder. Because one time they wanted to call fire down from heaven on a Samaritan village that had rejected Jesus. Can you just imagine John wearing a leather jacket with a big lightning bolt on the back saying, Sons of Thunder. But then John encountered Jesus. He experienced God's love firsthand, and the love of God poured into his heart. No longer would he be judgmental. Rather, the love of God would become a central theme of this gospel. And from this book comes the most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, each of the Gospels gives us a picture of Jesus. But to get a complete picture of Jesus, we have to read all four of them. Matthew presents Jesus as the promised King. As the Messiah. Mark presents him as the servant of God. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Luke portrays Jesus as the Son of Man, and John presents him as the Son of God. And John's focus is on Jesus' divinity, and he wastes no time proclaiming his deity. Now, look at verse 1. These familiar words. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word was God. Notice John comes right out and tells us, Jesus is God. John declares his deity from the very start. A theme he will carry all through this gospel. In fact, every chapter in the book of John, will reveal His deity. And the Word was God. And now you say, well, but how do I know the Word is Jesus? Well, look down at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, the Logos... The Word of God, the eternal God, became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and lived as a man among us. Jesus was God in the flesh. He was God. But He was also a man. You see, He was fully God and He was fully man. He wasn't half God and half man. No, He was 100% God and He was 100% man. But he was a man, and he had all the characteristics of a man. We know he got hungry. We know he got thirsty. We know he got tired. We know he enjoyed being with friends. In fact, John highlights this in his gospel. He wept at the tomb of a dead loved one. He had all the characteristics of a man. And yet, very interestingly, the Bible tells us he was without sin. In fact, we see him in John chapter 8 standing before the people asking, Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Any of you ever seen me commit a sin? And no one could say a word. Now, can you imagine that? A man 33 33 years old comes along and he stands before his uh, people that he knows and and he comes along and he says, Has anybody ever seen me commit a sin? Any of you of my neighbors ever seen me sin? Can you imagine that? Well, if I said that, everyone who knows me would stand up and say, He's a sinner. My wife's here. (laughs) Ask her, she'll tell you I'm a sinner. All of us are sinners. But Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. He went through every temptation we've ever been through. There isn't a trial, there isn't a testing, a temptation that Jesus hasn't been through before us, and he resisted them and overcame them all, every one. And he faced them as a man, just like us. And so he understands the temptations we face. He understands the pressures we face today. He understands our pain and our sorrow, because he was a man like us. But of course, he was more than just a man. He claimed to be the unique, incarnate, one and only Son of the living God. In fact, he claimed preexistence. He said in John chapter 8, "'Before Abraham was born, I am.'" He was saying, I am an eternal existence. Now look at verse 2. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Before time began, He existed. He has always existed. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Now what was He doing? He was creating the world. Look at verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now think about it. What other book in the Bible begins this way, in the beginning? The book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Jesus was there. We read in Genesis 1, God is speaking and he says, Let us make man in our image. You see, the Bible teaches there's a trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, only one God but manifest in three persons. Now, don't ask me to explain it, because I can't. But one illustration sometimes I try to use to try to explain it is water. You know, water is a liquid, but then it can be frozen, as we know very well from this last winter, and it becomes a solid. So it's a liquid, it can become solid, but then we can boil water, and there's steam, and it becomes a vapor. It's all water but exist in three different forms. But I don't know of any theologian that can adequately explain it. I'm not even sure that Stu Bice could explain it. <laughs> but that's what the Bible teaches, that there's one God manifest in three persons. Now, in Colossians one sixteen, speaking of Christ, it says... For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And then in Hebrews 1, it tells us that Jesus made the universe. Now think of it. There are millions of galaxies with millions and billions of stars in each one. And the Bible says Jesus made it all. And then John tells us another amazing thing about Jesus Christ. Verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is the author of life. In him was life. Now, the Bible speaks of three different types of life. First, there's physical life. The Bible says he gives all men life and breath and everything else. Jesus created physical life. And then secondly, there is spiritual life. Now, you can be alive physically, but dead spiritually. Dead toward God. Having no connection with God. In Ephesians 2, 1, we read this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And then it goes on to say, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. You see, before we came to Christ, we were dead in our sins, separated from God. But through His death on the cross, Jesus reconciled us to God. He brought us to God, brought us into a relationship with God. We were born again, born from above, made alive with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit came to live within our hearts, and we became a new creation in Christ, spiritually alive, a new life with purpose and meaning and joy. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it to the full, spiritual life. And then thirdly, Jesus gives us eternal life. You see, this life goes on forever and ever in heaven. In John 10, 28, Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Listen, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you have received him as your Lord and Savior, he promises you eternal life. You will never perish. He holds us in his hand. And Jesus went on to say, My Father, who is greater than all, who has given them to me, holds them in his hand, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. You know, if Satan could, he'd take your eternal life away from you. But he can't. No one can snatch them out of my hand. What a picture of security. God has a double grip on us. Jesus has us in His hand. The Father has us in His hand. You see, it doesn't depend upon how tightly we hang on to God. It depends upon how tightly He holds on to us. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. He holds us in His hand. Jesus is the author of life. Later in the book of 1 John, John would sum it up like this. 1 John five twelve. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You got Jesus, you got life. No Jesus, no life. And then John tells us Jesus is the source of light. He's the source of light. Now, look at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this is not John who wrote the, the gospel. This is John the Baptist. And it says, John the Baptist, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now this is Jesus, the light of the world. In the book of John, Jesus makes eight incredible claims, each beginning with the phrase, I am. I am was an Old Testament name for God, a name that God had given Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And one of those claims Jesus made is found in John chapter 8. Jesus said this He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Years ago, Kelly and I, we took a tour through Mammoth Caves in Kentucky. And our son Micah wasn't yet two years old. And uh, he needed a diaper change. And so we had to step aside from the group. Well, the group went on up ahead. And while Kelly was getting ready to change his diaper, they turned out the lights. And the only light we had was coming from way down the cave where the group had gone. Kelly performed the fastest diaper change in the history of the world. She took that dirty diaper and gave it a fling. And we changed him, and we started running up to the group because we were afraid they were going to turn out the lights there and we'd be left totally in the dark. Have you ever been in a cave where they turn out the lights? I mean, it is black, total darkness. And if they let you grope around like that for a little bit, you you don't know where you came from. You don't know where you've been. You don't know where you're gone. It's like being lost. And that's like life without Jesus. Without Jesus, you don't know where you came from. Without Jesus, you don't know why you're here. Without Jesus, you don't know where you're going. Like walking in darkness. But in His light, we see our need of a Savior. We see our sin. And we see that we need a Savior. And when we come to Christ, He lights up our life and we know why we're here. And we know where we're going. And he lights the path ahead of us so we can see how to live, how to live life. And he makes sense out of life. And he makes his light shine in our hearts so that we then can be reflectors of his light. And like John the Baptist, we're to bear witness of the light. We're to tell people about Jesus. We're to sow the gospel because Jesus also said, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And Jesus said we're to let our light shine. We're to do all kinds of good deeds so that people will see Christ in us. Ephesians 5, 8 says, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. And then it goes on to say, Find out what pleases the Lord. Do the things that please the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. We're to cast off the sins of darkness and we're to put on the armor of light. We're to walk in the light as He is in the light. You know, nothing snuffs out our light, nothing snuffs out our witness quicker than hypocrisy. We're to walk in the light. Now look at verse 18, John 1.18. No one has ever seen God The only God who's at the Father's side, now that's Jesus. The only God who's at the Father's side has made him known. No one's ever seen God, but people saw God through Jesus Christ. The Bible says he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus one time said, hey, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When people saw Jesus, they saw God. They saw God's love. They saw God's kindness, His mercy, and His righteousness. And the question for us is when people see us, do they see Jesus? Because in our world today, the only Jesus some people will ever see is the Jesus they see in you and me. We're to let our light shine. Jesus was God in the flesh. The creator, the giver of life, and the source of light. And lastly, John tells us two more amazing things about Jesus Christ. Two more things that come from him, grace and truth. Verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. Let's look at truth first. In John chapter 14, we find another amazing I am statement. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus claimed to be the truth, the embodiment of all truth. Toward the end of his life, Buddha made this remarkable statement. He said, I'm still searching for truth. Buddha never claimed to know the truth or that he had found it. Jesus said, I am the truth. Muhammad never said that. Buddha never said that. Confucius never said that. No one ever stood before the people and made the claims that Jesus Christ did. You know, today we live in a culture that rejects truth. Truth is what is true to you, or morals is whatever you think. They say there's no such thing as absolute truth. There's a Greek word for that, baloney. (laughs) Consider some of the statements that people make today, and how we might respond to them. They say today, there is no truth. You could say, Is that statement true? They say, You can't know anything for sure. You say, Are you sure about that? They say, There are no absolutes. You ask, Is that an absolute? Today, there's always someone who's absolutely sure that there's no absolutes. You know, years ago, people thought that the world was flat. That was truth to them. They thought the world was flat. But then later we discovered that the world was round. And the truth is the world was always round. Truth doesn't change over time or through cultures. What was true a thousand years ago is true today. You see, we do not develop truth. We do not make truth. We discover truth. Truth is not what I say it is. Truth is not what you say it is. Truth is not what a professor at the university says it is. Truth is not what Washington says it is or the Supreme Court. Truth is what God says it is. What the Bible says it is. In John 17, 17, Jesus said, God's word is truth. Your word is truth. You want to find truth. That is the source of truth. The Word of God. And that's where we discover truth. And if there was ever a time we need to know God's Word, if there's ever a time we need to study it and know it, it's today. And only then can we be set free from Satan's lies, the lies that infiltrate this world and bombard us every day. Thy Word is truth. And then finally, John tells us grace comes through Jesus Christ. Grace. Look again at verse 16 and 17. From his fullness, from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses emphasized God's law and justice. But the problem is, we can't keep the law. Do you know anyone who's kept the Ten Commandments? Never broken a Ten Commandments? You know anyone who's never told a lie? And then the Bible tells us if we've just broken one of God's laws, if we've just stumbled at one point, then he says we're guilty of all. So I'd have to say I've broken all the Ten Commandments according to God's standard. Now, the law teaches us how God wants us to live. It gives us a standard, but the law doesn't give us any power to live up to it. It doesn't give us any power to keep it. So the law shows us we're sinners, that we fall short of the glory of God, and that we need a Savior. The law leads us to Christ, where we find grace, where we find God's love, where we find God's mercy and forgiveness. There's an old acronym for grace. Maybe you've heard it before. God's riches at Christ's expense. Note the words, at Christ's expense. Grace is free to us, but it's not free. It costs Jesus his death on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. Now, grace implies that we cannot work for our salvation. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. No one's going to be in heaven saying, look what all I did to get here. I'm not going to heaven because of what I've done or because of my goodness. I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus did for me on the cross and because I've received it and accepted it. I don't deserve it. I'm going to be in heaven because of the grace of God. We're saved by grace when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Not in our churchanity, not in our good works, but our faith and trust in Christ. And then we live our whole Christian life by grace. I can't live the Christian life without God's grace. I can't do it. I can't stand up here without God's grace. Now, by definition, grace is God's unmerited favor. It's God's help, it's His favor. And I need His grace. I need His help every day. Jesus said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. But with His grace, with the power of the Holy Spirit, I can do all the things that God calls me to do. So can you. So, how do we get God's grace? How do we get his favor? How do we get his help? Peter tells us how. 1 Peter five five. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God gives his grace to those who are humble. To those who humbly depend upon God. And when we're on our knees before God and we say, Lord, I need you, Lord. Lord, I can't do this without you. Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. And we declare our dependence upon God, then he gives his grace. His grace comes flooding in, and we find that his grace is sufficient. And that's the way we come to Christ. Humbly. Like a little child. Jesus said, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And if you and I want to be great in the God's kingdom, it starts by being humble, humbly dependent upon God. God loves us. He offers us His forgiveness. He offers us the gift of eternal life. It's free because it was bought and paid for by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. But we have to receive it. We must receive Christ. When we hear about Jesus Christ and that He was God in the flesh, He's the Creator of all life, the Light of the world, the One who's full of grace and truth, the One who loved us so much that He suffered and died and took our place on the cross. When we see Him, and we see who He is, and what all He's done for us, we have to make a decision about Jesus Christ. There has to be a response. There's a choice to make. And John tells us about that choice. He said some people received Christ, and some people rejected Christ. Look at verse 10 and 11. He was in the world... And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. How could they reject him? How could they reject Jesus after all they saw him do? After all the miracles? After they heard him speak? After they saw his love and compassion on the cross? I mean, how could they reject him? John tells us in chapter 3, They loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. They loved their sin more than they loved God. They weren't willing to repent of their sin. And Jesus told us that unless you're willing to repent, you will perish. Unless we repent, we will perish. Unless we're willing to change our mind about God and change our mind about sin and to change our way of living. If we're walking away from God, He wants us to do a U-turn and turn and toward God. Repentance is the first step we take toward God. But they didn't all reject Him. Many did receive Christ. John goes on to tell us in verses 12 and 13, he said, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, not of physical birth, but of God. You see, when we were born physically, we became physically alive. And we were placed in our parents' family. But when we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're born again spiritually spiritually. We pass from death to life. We're made spiritually alive. The Holy Spirit comes to live within our heart, and we're born from above. And God puts us in His family, and we become children of God. And this morning, I want to ask you Has that happened to you? Have you been born again? Does Jesus Christ live in your heart? Are you sure that your sins are forgiven and that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Are you sure? I'd like everyone to close their eyes and be in an attitude of prayer. And if you're here this morning and you can't say, I know that my sins are forgiven. I know I'm going to heaven. I know that Jesus lives in my heart. If you're not sure, you can make sure today You may be a good person. You may come to church. But maybe you've never personally received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you'd like to make sure this morning, you'd like to know for sure, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just pray it softly, but pray it from your heart. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sin. Will you help me to turn from my sin? I want to turn to you. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. That you rose again from the dead. And I want to ask you to come into my heart, into my life. I want to know my sins are forgiven. I want to be in heaven with you. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for each person here this morning. For each person who has committed their life to you. And for someone who's maybe done it right now for the first time. Lord, we thank you that you hold us in your hand. You give us eternal life and you've promised we'll never ever perish. You've said, I'll never, ever leave you nor forsake you. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now this morning, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want to encourage you to tell someone about it. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father who is in heaven. There's something about making it just known publicly, telling someone that kind of settles it and seals it in our heart. The Bible says that all the angels in heaven are rejoicing. And when you share it with someone, you give them the opportunity to share in your joy. So I'd encourage you to do that today.